0: Oh, good morning. Yeah, today, uh, as we've already mentioned, is a special day, which we call Grads and Dads here in our church, and it's a day that we recognize our graduates and their accomplishments, um, but it's also a day we celebrate our fathers and and the men in our church. And you know, in this church, we recognize that fatherhood, fatherhood is a God-given privilege right, given to men to lead their families and to raise their children in the Lord as best, as best they can. And so I am so thankful for the men in our church, the fathers, the grandfathers, those that may not be fathers but play a fatherly role, right, to those in our church and to our young people. You know, we don't have any illusions either, right, uh, as we recognize our fathers, we know that our fathers, our earthly fathers, are not perfect. Right? Sorry about that, dads, right? and sorry to the kids, and sorry to you spouses. Right? We're not perfect by any means, but our society needs more godly men. Amen? Amen? Right? It needs more godly men, men like the men we have here in our church who have the courage to follow the Lord despite what the culture says. Right, and to try and do God's will in their home and in their lives. And so uh, at this time, I'd just like to ask if the men could stand where you're at, and I'd just like to thank you for being here in the church, and I'd like to just offer a prayer, to, a prayer for you. Please stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the men in our congregation, the men here present today, the men watching online. Lord, we thank you, Lord for them. Thank you for their strength. We thank you for their, uh, their nurturing and their encouragement in our lives. And I pray, Lord, your hand a blessing upon them. Lord, that you would continue to strengthen and build yourself up in their inner man, and that you would help them to be godly and faithful, Lord, at home, at work, in their community, and here at church. Lord, bless, bless these men. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's wonderful to see you all this morning, to be here in the sanctuary, not in the 90-degree right, weather outside. Um, as well, you know, for those of you online, you're know, joining us. Um, as we open up our Bibles this morning, and as we seek the, Lord, the Lord's word and the Lord's voice this morning, I want to begin by asking you this question. Are you in the right place to worship? Now, I don't mean did you, you know, did you wake up and bump your head and accidentally step into the wrong church, right? Like, like oh, I got the address mixed up, and I meant to go to the church down the street, right? Or I hooked into the wrong live stream. I meant to hear this really great pastor, but instead you got me. I mean, did you, are you in the right place for worship? In the past year, there's been a lot of talk about how we do worship, how churches do worship. Right, because of the pandemic and the quarantine, churches have used technology, as we have, right, to facilitate service, whether it's pre-recording, live stream, or Zoom. Uh, churches have offered outdoor worship services like we have for the past six months, or drive in services. Okay, we didn't do that, right? But some churches offered drive in services where you pull into the parking lot, you hear the word of God preached, and you sing from your car. And your cars are socially distanced, right? Because you don't want them to get COVID. <laughs> um, some churches broke their congregations down into smaller groups so they could have more flexibility to meet in a smaller unit right, for worship. Indoor, outdoor, online, in person, right, in your car, at home, all together. Right? Worship has been talked about so much over and over the past year, and you know there are so many opinions about what's the right way to worship. And I'll tell you that I think what we see in God's Word is that the right place to worship it depends more on how you and I come into worship. How have, we, how have we prepared ourselves for this morning? Do we understand what we're doing here? You know, we come all the time, right? Usually, every Sunday, do we understand why? And what does it mean for when we leave here today? So I think these are, I think these things are more important to the quality of our worship experience than our surroundings and the logistics. And in the end, we all want that, right, we all want that experience where we sense God moving in our midst, speaking to us, planting his His truth deep inside of us, and refreshing and restoring our souls. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me or open your Bible apps right, to Nehemiah chapter 12. Right, and as we open back up to Nehemiah, let me just summarize where we're at. You'll recall that Nehemiah had received a burden from the Lord to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It says that he wept, he fasted, and he prayed because the walls and gates were in ruins. So he wanted to go and repair them, but there was a problem, right? The Jews weren't free. They were under the Persian rule and the authority of King Artaxerxes. So they couldn't just go and do what they wanted. But with God's help, Nehemiah received the king's favor. In chapters 3 through 7, he rallies the people, and he organizes them to rebuild the walls and the gates and they complete this monumental task. Priests, they use priests, carpenters, goldsmiths, merchants, jewelers, everybody in the village, in the town, in the city of Jerusalem that was willing to serve. Right, they all came together and they completed the walls in less than two months. Now with the walls rebuilt, Nehemiah gathers the people to renew their faith and their covenant with the Lord. And then this all culminates with a great celebration here in chapter 12. Okay, so we won't look at all, read all of chapter 12, but let me read a portion, just starting with verse 27. Nehemiah 27, 12, 27 through 31 says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together with, from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Giba and Esmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people. The gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. And then, skipping down to verse 40, the two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials as well as the priests. And then, verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard heard far away. So what we have here is a good old-fashioned dedication ceremony, right? Like a ribbon cutting at a new park or a a christening of a new boat. And I don't even know if they do that anymore where they smash the, the bottle, right, against the boat But because it's God's people, giving thanks and praising God, it's really a worship service. A worship service, as we read, with musicians, with choirs, with priests, with officials, brought together from around the area for the purpose of praise and worship. It's a massive celebration. You can hopefully get the sense, right, of how many people and how big this event is. But I want you to see that it's not spontaneous. It's been planned. It's been building up since chapter 8. And the people's hearts have been prepared for this. Here in chapter 12, they're in the right place, the right heart, the right attitude to worship. So the question is, how did they get there? And how do we get there? Right, what prepares us for worship and puts us in a place, right, to experience God? First, let me suggest, worship is a lifestyle. Okay, worship is a lifestyle. And just to clarify, when I say worship, I'm not just talking about the music and song. I'm talking about the act of expressing our reverence and our devotion to God. And this can be done in many different ways, but I think it's expressed most clearly in how we live. Worship and worship service is not just an event that we come to on Sundays. It's not just what we do here in this one hour or hour and a half. You like how I added that extra half an hour in there? Worship is the outflow. Maybe you would call it the expression of our relationship with God during the week. If you're a believer, you should want to come to worship service on Sundays, right? Because daily, your passions for God are growing and being primed. And this is the place to let it out. This is the place to share it with one another. Author A.W. Tozer says, If you will not worship God seven days a week, you will not worship him on one day a week. Why does he say that? Why is that true? Because worship is an attitude of the heart, isn't it? We carry it around with us, and it doesn't just change when we step into the church building. Now that's not to say that if you come to worship on Sunday, right, and you've been missing him, and you genuinely open your heart to the Lord, that he won't touch you. Psalm 51, 17 says that a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Our God is a gracious God, and he invites everybody to come to him, including those who haven't been walking with him. But it's almost impossible to neglect him during the week, to pretend like he doesn't exist, and then worship him well on Sundays. Because it's not only an attitude, but it's a relationship. Right? And we don't just turn relationships on and off. Right? We recognize our fathers, we recognize our mothers on Mother's Day. We know, for example, right, being a good mom or dad, it's 24-7. Right? You, didn't, you don't just show up once in a while. And the same for us with worship with our God. Here in Nehemiah 12, the people were already focused on God. Their hearts were primed. And how was this revealed in their lives? Well, one, they spent time in God's word. In Nehemiah 8, Ezra the priest would read God's word, and it says the people would listen attentively for hours. (laughs) For hours? the scriptures would be explained so that they understood what was being read. Right? This, right, that you have in your laps that we read sometimes on our phones or through apps, right? This is God's word. His written revelation to us. And you and I need the constant input of God's word, of God's voice to us. If we have any hope of truly understanding God's will for us, or understanding the depth of His love, we must make the Word part of our lives. We must read it, seek to understand it, and then try to apply it. Second, they repented of their sins. In Nehemiah 9, we see that the people, when faced with their sinfulness, what did they do? They, they broke down and they fasted, and they put on sackcloth, and they confessed their sins. Their humility and confession was a form of worship. They knew their sin had broken relationship with God. Unfortunately, today, confession, repentance, is a lost art. It's a a discipline that's shunned by a, a culture that thinks too highly of itself or doesn't recognize the virtue of humility. Humility before God, my friends, is not a sign of weakness, right? It's a sign of wisdom and understanding of who we are and who God is. How about you, right? Do you break over sin knowing that it's an affront to a holy God? The unconfessed sin in our lives makes it hard to worship. Repentance is what brings us back into right relationship with the Lord. And God invites that repentance. And it restores us to a place of worship. Third, they recounted God's faithfulness. Later in chapter 9, the people celebrated what was known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is where they recount God's faithfulness to them in the Exodus as they leave Egypt and as they travel through the wilderness. And I think if you know your Old Testament, you know, right, the Israelites were not all that faithful. They waffled back and forth like we do sometimes. But Nehemiah 9.31 says, But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. God's love and faithfulness is sticky, right? It's hard to get it off of you because God wants you to have it, right? Remembering how he has been faithful to you in the past is important to how you worship today. And incorporating this into our lives, right, it molds us and it gives us hearts of gratitude as we come here on Sundays. So, these are just some of the things that people did to prepare themselves in Nehemiah 12. So, first, worship is a lifestyle. Second, worship is God centered. Okay, and for us here in the New Testament church, right, it is Christ centered. Now, I know that sounds obvious, but in this day and age of affluence, of consumerism, right, of quick fixes, how easy it is for us to let other things distract us from true worship. All too often we judge and we evaluate church and worship service apart from the actual worship of God. As an example, in the Welcome Team Ministry, we've read that studies show most people who visit a church today make a decision about whether or not to return within the first 10 minutes of arriving, right, 10 minutes, 10 minutes is barely enough time to park, to say hello, to maybe use the restroom, and to sit down. The actual service probably hasn't even started, and yet they've determined whether this is a good place or not to worship. So obviously the focus is on other things. Now, don't get me wrong, those first 10 minutes in our church is very important to us. It's very important how we receive and how we greet and how we welcome people. But as a worshiper, to be in the right place to worship, our hearts need to be focused on God. The Jewish people here in Nehemiah 12 were focused. They were locked and loaded in the worship and celebration of God. And they knew why they had come together that day. In John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman asked Jesus, the woman at the well, and she asked Jesus about where people should worship. She says, the mountain, Jerusalem. And Jesus explains to her the essence of true worship. Here in John 4, 23 and 24, he says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. See, we worship in the truth of the gospel in light of what Christ has done on the cross and by his saving grace in our lives. Amen? Pastor John Piper says, The key to praising Christ is prizing Christ. Christ is is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. This is what fuels our worship. Right? Does Christ satisfy you, or do the things of the world satisfy you more? Maybe another way of asking it is, what value does the gospel hold in your life? Right? And this may give us some clues as to why worship sometimes seems unsatisfying or boring. Who God is and what he's done for us is the primary focus when we come together for worship. Not the music, not the rituals or the order of service, not the decor of the sanctuary. And while these things may help us or hinder us from worship, our attention should be on the Lord. In Nehemiah 12, the details are important. I hope you see that. The music, the choirs, the priests, the sacrifices, they are important but they all have one focus. They're all moving in one direction, right? The focus of God and the glory of God. Last one, worship is transformative. Worship is meant to be transformative. Nehemiah's goal in rebuilding the walls and the gates of Jerusalem were not just to secure the city or to make it more more formidable, It wasn't to make it more pretty and attractive. His goal was to restore the worship and blessing of God to God's people. In fact, the book of Nehemiah is really a continuation of the book of Ezra, right, in Scripture. And in the book of Ezra, the leader there, Zerubbabel, he rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah comes along, and he completes the work by building the walls and the gates. And so while these projects involve actual rebuilding and reconstruction and manual labor, right, and physical work, the ultimate goal was spiritual renewal. And that's why the walls were completed in chapter 7, and then in chapters 8 through 12, it's all about praise. It's all about God's people, God's word, repentance, thanksgiving, and worship. See, worship and spiritual renewal, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly, right? Like the L.A. Clippers and championship basketball. (laughs) I can't get the Clippers out of my mind. In chapter 10, the Jewish people, they renew their commitment to follow God and live in covenant relationship with him. So see, the, the story's not done when the wall's completed. But they return to him. In chapter 12, we read that the priests and the Levites, they purified themselves. They purified the people. And it says they purified the walls and the gates. And they did this for worship. And they did this to purify for, the, for service to God. Right, so purity, right, sounds old-fashioned. I know the word sounds old-fashioned. Consecration to God is important for us as worshipers. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? That means, who may bring him worship? Right? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Worship is to be transformative. It's a cycle in which we prepare our hearts for worship and then we're brought into God's presence and He renews us and He transforms us into into His likeness. And then we are empowered to go and to live for Him. Now, this process isn't instantaneous, right? It doesn't just happen, It requires strength and perseverance. That's partly why we come together for teaching, for encouragement, for accountability to one another. All right, so don't give up. We are all a work in progress. But true worship should spur change and transformation in our lives. Worship is not meant to be just a nice experience, right, or just a good show. It's meant to change how we live our lives and what we see as important. And as God works in us and through us and on us, we should leave differently than when we came. Nehemiah 12 is a great dedication ceremony of the wall, but it's really a rededication of God's people. They prepare themselves to worship, They place their focus and attention on the Lord and they receive his joy and his blessing, right? You see in the chapter the rejoicing that takes place, women, children, right, men. And it says that the praise and the joy and the worship is heard from far away, right? Keep in mind that the people are still under Persian rule, that they still have enemies against them but they have reason to worship because they know their God, right? And they know how great He is, and they know His covenant to them and His commitment to them. And it's a model for us as we come together to worship each Sunday, right? Let's pray. Father God, we want to learn to be better worshipers, Lord. We pray that you would, Lord, just help things to stick in our minds and our hearts Um, from what you've spoken today. Lord, and that we would be people of worship, true worship, to follow you during the week and to come together to praise you and to glorify you and to find strength and encouragement from you on Sundays. And then to again praise you and obey you and glorify you during the week. So Lord, we pray that you would help us You would encourage us and you strengthen us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.